I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We are sitting down for one of our one of our classic Wednesday episodes where we get to speak to a doctor. Uh, today we're speaking to Doctor Christy Ebi. Nailed it! Nailed it! Uh, and uh, Christy, I'm going to ask you the question we ask most of our doctors that we have on the show: Are you a medical doctor or a smart person doctor? I am not a medical doctor. I've been trained in research. Yes. I'm always so impressed how the smart person doctors manage to like step it very so well. diplomatically answer yeah. the question like every single time. Yeah, it's amazing. Time. It's really time. they're so humble. Smart uh, person doctors are very See, very a, humble. A medical doctor, on the other hand, they would be like, "Hi, I'm both a yeah. smart person <laughs> yeah. doctor yeah. and yeah. a medical doctor." Yeah, exactly. uh, doctor, uh, so Chris, you you're you're a professor at the Center for Health and the Global Environment at the University of Washington. And, um, and today we're going to be call- talking about climate change. Um, but, but from the, from the vantage point of, of how climate change affects our health, which is something that we've actually, I mean, we've talked about wanting to talk about this for yeah. God, maybe coming up on a year now. So I'm really excited that we get a chance to sit down and talk to you about this. My first question is this, is climate change real? No, I'm joking. That's not, that's not, that's not my question. Um, uh, we, the three of us, are past that question. Yeah. Um, but my first question is this: uh, I, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that the health isn't like our own physical health isn't the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind when they think about climate change. So people who are familiar with what climate change is, the first thing they think about is the health of the planet. But um, I think we're going to get quite into the depths of how much our own personal health can be affected by that, by the health of the planet. Um, and so I guess where to start is like, how, how, <laughs> how can climate change affect our health? How, if, if the planet is changing in temperature, changing in the ways that, you know, it, it's habitable for us. Um, how is it, how is it possible that it can also affect our own physical health aside from like getting too hot and, (laughs) and sweating a lot? It's an excellent question. And I'll step back a little bit and talk about how we as humans are changing the planet Mm. because that also affects our health. That most of the greenhouse gases come from burning fossil fuels And a lot of that comes either from coal-fired power plants or from transportation. 
And when the fossil fuels are burnt, they also emit particulate matter. And when you look at the total burden of ill health from high levels of particulate matter, there's about 7 million deaths per year from those exposures. Whoa. And wow. that's from us burning the fossil fuels. The other piece that is less well known than what we're gonna talk about is as we put more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere from burning of fossil fuels, we affect our plants. About 85% of our plants have a particular mechanism whereby they bring in the, the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, pull it into the plant, break it apart during photosynthesis and create the materials for the plant to grow. Mm. And one consequence of higher carbon dioxide, particularly for many of our crops, is that the crops are becoming less nutritious. Mm. There's less protein, less, there's less micronutrients. There's an irony to that, isn't there? That in the in the way that the, you know fossil fuels are fossilized plant matter from yes. you know eons ago. Yes, and we're looking at very large potential increases in food insecurity, nutritional insecurity, mm. with higher CO two, and this is separate from climate change. Mm -hmm. Coming back to that that stat of seven million deaths, like. What what encompasses those those deaths? Where where like what are those deaths being recorded as? They're obviously not being recorded as like died due to climate change. Like, are we looking at are we looking at different types of cancers? Are we looking at you know what what are what are the what are the actual root causes of the death um, outside of the, the the changing of the planet? For those particular deaths, they're respiratory disease deaths. And similar to the analyses that you've seen around excess deaths from COVID, you can look at periods of high air pollution and you can see how many deaths occurred and compared with similar periods without high air pollution. Mm. Are they even to... happening right now for the heat in mm -hmm. yeah. DC? That's There's right. an analysis underway of the number of excess deaths from the heat. Right. You can look at overall because it's lots of different causes of death. For mm -hmm. air pollution, it's mostly respiratory. Right. Is that are, are they look? Is that a correlation, or are they able to like attribute that directly as causation when they sort of compare it to like these elevated um, periods of air pollution and look at that in in correlation to the elevated um, amount of respiratory deaths due to these respiratory illnesses? There's a very robust body of research showing the impacts of higher concentration of particulate matter on our lungs and what it does to our lung function, mm. which then leads into disease etiologies that end up with some people dying from those diseases. Mm. So the wow. literature is there supporting that that is what's going on. And you're right, most death certificates don't say this person died of asthma and that asthma was due to an air pollution episode. Right. There's ways one can tease it out from from the data. Right. It's really when, interesting. When um you you mentioned the uh the heat in BC recently and um and another example of um um some pretty extreme weather uh was the the floods in Germany that that recently went on and I read uh I read an article that was talking about how the Western world is like the Western world is now is now seeing these like destructive, these like really destructive events where typically it wasn't, it wasn't more developed, more wealthier nations that were seeing like the, the more drastic effects of climate change in terms of 
um, weather and and pollution. Um, but now that's sort of of shifting. And having traveled to many different countries around the world and and seeing noticeable differences in terms of like the atmosphere of being in a city, um, being in a city like Hong Kong or in Delhi um, or Ho Chi Minh, and being able to very tangibly see on an individual day, like I am breathing air that is much different than the air that I'm, that I'm breathing at home. Mm. Like where, like, are, are we, are we going to, are we, are we going in the direction where, where are, are we going in the direction where, you know, like a city, like a city, like Halifax, you know, what, what, what could, could be, could be one of those places or like, is it, is it, is it going in that direction unless we make like a hard, you know, like a hard 90 degree turn and sort of like shut off some of these things where, where you can go out in a city that you would typically not, I not uh, associate with like high levels of air pollution or at least visibly like smog and things. And all of a sudden that, that is where you live because we haven't, we haven't been able to turn the ship around quick enough. And, and, and obviously those then leading to more deaths like Jer, you have cystic fibrosis and, you know that living in Halifax is better for you than living in Toronto. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. We're conflating a couple of issues that I'd like to separate out. So the air pollution in a city is a pretty short-term consequence of your industry and your transit and what, what kind of mix you have, for example, in your transportation. Do you have electric buses? Do you have electric vehicles? And so that can be brought fairly quickly under control. Mm-hmm. The longer term consequences with climate change are from this accumulation of burning of fossil fuels, of putting more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And on that side, we know from the science that we're seeing an increase in the frequency, the intensity, and the duration, particularly of heat waves. We're seeing a big shift in the hydrologic cycle. Warmer air holds more water. So as the temperatures go up, Warmer air holds moisture out of the soil, which can cause drought. Mm. And when it rains, it rains harder. It's not necessarily you get more rain events, but there's a shift in those rain events to more heavy rainfall and hence more flooding. Right. That's happening everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So so we've 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 talked about um, how climate change can affect us via our nutrition, um, air pollution you know, extreme weather, extreme heat. Um, but one thing that, that stuck out to me in, in going through the, the pre-interview doc here that I, 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 again, this is one of those things that like never would have crossed my mind. Um, and I think this is a good, a good segue into one of our Patreon questions that comes from Bren. It's all about like vector-borne illnesses, right? So uh, Bren asks, how should countries be preparing for things like mosquitoes which have diseases which are not currently present in the north, moving further north as temperatures warm. Canada is already seeing a change in the geographic range of Lyme disease. Yeah, mm. big time. When you see ticks, mosquitoes, unless you've got a mountain range or a big body of water, there's no real constraints for their geographic range except the weather patterns. Mm. And they need particular weather patterns to survive, replicate, grow, create the next generation. And so as temperatures warm and as our precipitation patterns change, yes, mosquitoes are changing their geographic range. Mm. 
And the mosquitoes and the ticks move first. And eventually when the disease is introduced, you have a population where you could have disease transmission. Mm. Another example is there was a modeling study several years ago talking about the mosquito Aedes aegypti, and that's a mosquito that in the U.S. can carry dengue fever, yeah. Zika virus, and others, and saying, where could it go with climate change? And the short answer is that it would move from the southeast, where we know we have that mosquito in the U.S., into the Midwest by about 2080. The study also looked at when you could have transmission, because you have to have a summer that's hot enough and long enough to be able to transmit the disease. And so you'd see it moving out of the Southeast, but not really far outside the Southeast. And a few years ago, there were newspaper headlines that this mosquito, breeding colonies of this mosquito were found in Toronto, Toledo, and Detroit. Hmm. Wow. The mosquito is moving well ahead of where the projections suggest. Wow. We don't yet have summers that are long enough and hot enough, but it's a question of when not if. Can, like, do are, are, when you see something like that, when you see like these mosquitoes moving at a rate that's like faster than anticipated, does that give you, like, does that give you, God, I just, I, I, the, I feel like that I probably shouldn't ask this, but do you feel like, um, we are completely fucking doomed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you, are you see like you climate change? It's one of those things that like, it, I hate thinking about it because, because I am, I, 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 I am pretty nihilistic when it comes to the thoughts of like existential crisis and climate change, especially like, I just, I can't see you, change coming. You, I, but you think it's very, it's all too late. It's way too, I, I, yeah, just ba based on, based on all the, like the doom scrolling that I'm doing on, on Twitter and like everything that I see about climate change, I'm going, oh, well, I guess there's like, I, I agree there's no because, way to fix it. I agree because I feel like people don't give a shit. Yeah. People just don't care. And so, so I, w this is a little bit of a side tangent, but, but Chris, I want to know, I just want to know, like what you study this, you, you're looking at this all the time. Do you have any hope? At all. <laughs> I'm a worried optimist. Okay. In that this is one of the first times when you think about threats to human health. Yeah. Typically, what happened in the past is there's some kind of exposure, arsenic, lead, whatever you want to choose. And health didn't become engaged until after we started counting the bodies. Mm. We have lots of information about how our climate can change. I'm just thrilled that you're covering this because mm. we can get out in front of this mm. and we can put in the policies, the programs that we need so that we have a changing climate, but we don't have big impacts on our health. Kind of a, kind of a, um, parallel to that, Chris, um, to, to that question, that last question that Jeremy asked there and, and your thoughts on it. Like, I know that you're, I know that you're a researcher and you're on the science side, but you mentioned earlier about the uh, the populations of mosquitoes moving up, and you, you you know you said you know it looks like you know they might go be in the Midwest by 2080, and like psychologically for the human race when we when we say think you know when we're sitting here in 2021 and we think 20 2080, and then I think okay well that's 
um, you know, um, 59 years from now and I'm, I'll be dead and I'm 30 and, uh, so I'll be whatever. And I, you know, you calculate your age and you go like, and you think about where you'll be in your life by that point, or if you'll even be in life at that point. And psychologically, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on getting people to care to psychologically, uh, understand and care about a time that they will either not be a part of or play a much smaller social role in at that point in time. Because I feel like that is at its core, the one of the biggest challenges of why this ship is so hard or has been so hard to turn. Although I will say as an optimist, I see it turning more rapidly now and with countries making um, pledges to stop, uh, you know, combustion engine vehicles by, you know, 2030, pledges. 2035 or whatever. Well, like, how do we make right. people feel yeah. like this is as urgent? It needs to be as yeah. urgent as it, as it is in reality. Yeah. Like from the, from your, from your research, from, from where you sit as a researcher, like, do you have any thoughts on, on, on how to, on how to wake, how to wake people up to, to a future that seems so far away from an individual standpoint? I have three basic sets of responses. It's a great question. And the first is changing of the geographic range of mosquitoes is one of many issues that we need to think about with health and climate change. So it may not be the one motivating piece. The second is there's been research done in the United States, and I don't know of research like this in Canada, looking at the attitudes of the American public to climate change. And the recent results are 70 plus percent of the American public thinks that climate change is something that we should be paying attention to. More than half of the US public thinks that health is a serious concern with climate change. But only a third of our population talks to anybody else about climate change. Mm -hmm. Well, it's such a politicized issue these days too. I mean, that, that probably plays a big role in that, right? That plays a big role. And this is why your podcast is so important of getting people to start having those discussions because people are going to be surprised. They're going to talk to their neighbors and discover they're worried too. Mm -hmm. So starting those conversations. And then the third piece is there is a developing branch of climate science that looks at particular extreme events and looks at how much you can attribute that individual event to climate change. So the event in BC was virtually impossible without climate change. Right. Mm -hmm. As right. of this moment, we know there's more than 800 deaths in BC from that event, which starts telling you climate change is killing people now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I, is there like, are there, when we look at these sorts of things that are right now in this moment, having an effect on our health, and most certainly in the foreseeable future will continue to have an effect on our health and, and increase the, the effects that it's having on our health. Are there any efforts being put in right now to, to try and like help inform, you know, like regular muggles like ourselves, but also, but also like folks within the medical community, like physicians and doctors who for example, let's take this 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 vector borne illness issue and use that as an example. 
you know, doctors who are in a territory where they've never really had to think about um, Zika virus or, or dengue fever or something, but now it's starting to become kind of a reality that that actually is starting to move into their territory. Is there, are there efforts being made to, to inform those people of, of what to expect and how to deal and manage with, with those kinds of issues? Yes, with a but. There are definitely efforts to do that in Canada. Health Canada has a group that's working very diligently on climate change and health. They're working with provinces. They're working with communities. Part of that is this educational component. And that's true other countries as well. The but is the just infinitesimally small funding that is associated with climate change and health. Mm. Everyone working in the field understands the importance of the communication, of the reaching out. And there has been a lack of interest, except recently in Canada, for most of the medical research councils to provide funding in the area. Mm. We do have a lot of restrictions on what we're able to do just because there isn't the money to make it happen. Right. Mm. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. When you say, when you, hearing you say, hearing you say like, you know, the lack of, lack of funding in, in the area of, of, of like health, um, health concerns related to climate change, you know, obviously having this conversation, it seems glaringly obvious, you know, just speaking with you for whatever, 20 or 30 minutes now that, that it's a, it's, it's happening. It's happening today. It's happening. It's going to happen tomorrow. There's going to be people that are sick and people that are dying from, climate change related issues like when when we th- when, when i think about climate change in the kind of social consciousness um you know i i i i i reading financial news a lot i i see a lot about evs and evs being like you know the kind of top line conversation point about how uh co2 emissions are going to be reduced over time by nations all all over the world that's all electric vehicles for people who yeah, for, who, for, who aren't reading for any, financial for news anybody who's living yeah. under a rock really um it, what is the like what is sort of like the biggest um how do i phrase this like what's the biggest almost like what is the biggest thing that we're missing that isn't being talked about in relation to climate change like are, are we spending way too much time talking about something that is that matters way less, but you know catches much more attention, and 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 is is health related climate change issues like one of those things that is is sort of seen low on the totem pole by the by so in the social consciousness and needs needs a lot more attention. I'm biased, of course. Of course, health would be an important voice to bring forward. On the bigger picture, 
every action we take matters. Hmm. There's lots of people who could not possibly afford an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. But you can group all of your errands so that you have fewer emissions. All of the people out there who are parents who constantly remind their children to turn off the lights when they leave the room. That reduces emissions mm-hmm. if your electricity comes from some kind of cold-fired facility. There's all kinds of actions we can take. And going back to the question about I'm a worried optimist, there is so much change going on. Mm-hmm. It's just remarkable to see how much is shifting in our society. People mm-hmm. tend to focus on the national level and whether nationally we're meeting our commitments to the Paris Agreement. And then you look at industry. Companies are coming up with electric airplanes that will soon be in operation. You start looking at all the changes that are happening within our own societies and people recycling, people composting, lots of changes are going on. And when you start looking subnationally, you start getting a very different picture of what kinds of actions are going on and how people are really committed to making those changes. Mm-hmm. It's, and I it's can say as a professor at a university, I've got two courses around climate change and health. And those course numbers, the class sizes continue to grow. Mm. Students really want to know about climate change. They want to work on climate change. They want to contribute to making the future what they would like it to be. And so we're seeing that big shift coming through the universities. And that's really heartening. And it's a budding in, it's a budding industry yeah, in, in yeah. it's a, it is a, it is a, it will be a financial success ultimately because we're, we have these massive industries that create, that create greenhouse gases and those industries or the job that those industries, uh, that, that, that they fulfill, they, they need, something needs to fulfill that same need and renewable energy and clean energy and and things that will contribute to the reduction of climate change is going to be economically big. It it is really, um, I feel hopeful hearing you say this because um, as somebody who was part of the grade four eco team in my school where we went around and talked to other classes about uh, recycling and the importance of composting 1994 um, I, ahead of I the like, curve. I like, I, I grew up or on that stuff and I grew up on like being, being really proud to be like, be this eco eco-friendly kid. And like, and I remember thinking I got, I sort of got to this point. I feel like I've really had a really pessimistic view on climate change in the sense that I felt like in like 1994, like this was this really important thing and people were taking notice. And I remember, um, compost bins being introduced in our neighborhoods and people started like recycling and separating their trash. And it was like this really hopeful thing. And then I felt like there was this point where we were like gaslit by industry where like we were told like, Oh, it's your fault. Individual person. You need to be making changes yet. We're all making these changes and the, and climate change is still happening. And at rates that seems like faster and faster and faster year Mm -hmm. by year. And so it seemed like all of our individual efforts were sort of like futile and it was really frustrating for me. And like, I think I've cared less about it over the past few years because I feel like 
I cared so much about it for so long yeah, and I've, I wasn't I've, seeing I've watched you litter like 10 no. times in the last week. <laughs> That's not true. Brian's a serial <laughs> but, litterer. But but the the point is 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 that you know I had the second thing that I thought was that I actually in in addition to this conversation I started to feel a little bit of hope over this past year because I feel like for the first time in my entire life and perhaps in the history of this world the COVID-19 pandemic taught us that we could all come together as one human race to, to work together to eliminate something that was mm. potentially a threat to our existence. And the fact that so many people did come together and look like there, I get that we didn't do it in the best way possible. I get that there's a, like, there's still, you know, a, a huge, um, a number of, a, a huge number of countries that don't have access to vaccines. I, I understand the, the global inequalities around COVID-19, but it feels like for once we've actually cared about something together and that we can actually make the change. So I think that it is important that we all care as individuals. I do feel a little bit more hopeful about industry actually caring because, because Taylor reads the financial news. And, uh, (laughs) and I think that this last year has been the sort of example of how we can come together to make a change but like the point is, I think, is that we actually do have to care. Yeah. Like we do have to, there has to be this sense of urgency that reminds us that it's important to change now. And I hope that unfortunately, you know, people have died in BC and in Portland, Oregon. And, and hopefully we can like start to put some faces to the, the people who, who we're losing to climate change and actually start to give a shit again. Because, you know, I want, I want there to be more eco teams. Going around yeah, more your students. Uh, Chris, and, and on, if I could jump in, just um, be rude yeah, and interrupt for yeah, a second. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There and one of the nice things that Seattle King County does is every other year we have Green Globe Awards, where they mm-hmm. give out awards to celebrate great stuff people in tribes, individuals, various organizations are doing. How many was, have you won? <laughs> I was part of one. Oh yeah! All right, yeah. Woo. yeah, and. I've also seen this at international, there was national conferences in Australia around adaptation and they give out awards for great things that are going on. And so you're right. There's this real emphasis on the failures. There's also a lot of success and making sure that people understand there are all of these successes. There are ways that we can work together Mm. and people are already doing that. Yeah. I think that's great. Chris, um, on on the just to touch on something that Brian said there on COVID nineteen, um, what sort of things what sort of things were seen in the climate change world and 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 I guess in particular the uh, you know health issues related to climate change in the um, in the sort of like uh, March to uh, from from the from the spring to the fall uh, sort of timeline in twenty twenty when when we were in that period where the world really truly did seem to shut down and, you know, you got, you know, train, you know, air traffic down 99% or whatever it was, what sort of things, um, from the research side, did, did you see, um, did you see happening that sort of like gave this like maybe glimmer of like, you know, if we could, if we could like harness this and, and keep going into the future with this, um, you know, that would be this sort of perfect world scenario. One of the messages that's come out strongly from the scientific community after listening for decades to how difficult it is 
for countries to address greenhouse gas emissions, how difficult it is to think about the transitions that we need. <clears throat> Excuse me. In fact, those could be done pretty quickly if there's a political will. Mm. And so these constant messages of, and it is really complicated, and we can go into detail how complicated it is, but there's also now a very clear message from COVID. It's possible to do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were talking about industry earlier <clears throat> and um, something that I'm kind of curious about is, is how, um, and to, you know, tying this back to like healthcare, how has the healthcare world, the, the, the healthcare industry contributed to, to climate change? I, I I'm sure that, you know, that, that's a pretty big machine that is constantly running. And so is there, is there much um, evidence to show that, that the, the actual like healthcare system has, has contributed to climate change in a, in a way? There are quite a few studies concluding worldwide about 4 or 5% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from healthcare. Whoa. In the United States, about 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from healthcare. Whoa. Well, that's a big So there's chunk. been lots of discussion within health of we're part of the problem. We sure better be part of the solution. Yeah. And lots of efforts to try and green hospitals, try to green our healthcare facilities, <clears throat> and helping those who manage these facilities understand reducing our greenhouse gas emissions is really important. Yeah. And is it good enough to just put like a live wall? in like the entryway of your hospital, <laughs> yeah. like just grow some grass. Well, up well, to that, to that question, we, this is another Patreon question that came from Roseman. Um, and, and there are a lot of, there, there's actually quite a number of healthcare professionals that listen to the podcast. Um, and Roseman asks, uh, healthcare professionals have emerged as leaders during the pandemic. How can healthcare professionals capitalize on that increased respect, respect for science and possibly help with the efforts to fight climate change? There are so many ways that healthcare professionals can engage. They are a trusted voice. Mm. As I just mentioned, internally within the health sector, getting our own greenhouse gas emissions under control is critical. But also stepping forward and working essentially at all scales, helping patients understand that the choices they make not only affect their health, but they can also affect the planet. Mm. There are issues, certainly in the United States, with on average how much red meat people eat. Cows emit a lot of methane that contributes to climate change. Reducing the amount of red meat just to what their doctor recommends would significantly reduce emissions. Not asking people to go beyond it if they do even further reductions. Mm. Making sure, as you mentioned before, that physicians know about emerging infectious diseases understand what kinds of issues they could start seeing in their patient population, stepping out and talking with their communities about the concerns around climate change and what can be done. This requires education of that entire sector. There was a really excellent document written in 2008. The World Health Organization in 2008 declared it was the year around climate change and health. And there's a document from the Ontario College of Family Physicians that documents what's known about climate change and what family physicians in Ontario could do to help address the challenges and make sure that we protect and promote human health. Hmm. 
It, that, the, I, there's something you said there that reminded me like that, that, uh, that message of healthcare professionals are, are a trusted voice really resonates. Um, and <clears throat> I w- I remember it was maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I was in to see my family doctor. I think I went in to get like a, like an STI test or, or, or I was checking on like a sore throat or something. And, um, and it was like a quick, you know, 15 minute hanging out with my family physician. She asked me a few questions, uh, you know, pee in this cup or whatever. And then, oh, she recommended that beer that you tried and you were like, yes. And now it's your favorite beer. No, 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 it wasn't that. No, no, no. Uh, uh, and so she, she's a trusted source. She, she, uh, (laughs) as I was about to leave, she was like, I was literally walking out of her, her door and she goes, Hey, Jeremy, um, don't text and drive. And I was like, what, what? And she goes, do you text while you drive? And I was like, uh, sometimes she goes, yeah, don't. And I was like, okay. And she was like, it's stupid and really dangerous. So the last thing I want is for you to end up in the hospital or dead. So just when you're driving your car, put your phone down and don't text and drive. And I, and I was like, uh, okay. And then I left. And I was thinking about it like the whole day. I was like, why the f- did she see me driving and texting? Like, why the fuck did she say that to me? But yeah. then I realized. I said that same thing to you three days earlier and you were like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> but, but that, so that's my, that's my point. That's my point is that going forward from that day forward, if I ever, if I ever caught myself going to like grab my phone, whether it was at a red light or whatever, I heard her voice going, don't text and drive. And it it actually like really changed the way that I related to that very like casual thing that I would find myself doing every so often. Now, I know it's not good to text and drive. I know that texting and driving is like as dangerous as drinking and driving. And so like I've heard this a thousand times, but it wasn't until my doctor just said it to me as I was leaving that I went, hmm, yeah, you're right. And so you saying, you know, so I'm I'm saying this to all the healthcare providers out there. This this notion of like as your patient is about to walk out and you just say, "Hey, cut back on the red meat." <laughs> you know, like just just to toss that in there and then say because the planet is dying and the last thing I want to see is you die to uh to a forest fire in BC or something. Kind of makes you know, sense some- though, right? Because like they're they're spending so much time, energy, the healthcare system, money keeping you alive with yeah. cystic fibrosis, like, and they're like, just don't don't do something, go and die in a car accident. Yeah, don't do you something dumb. Idiot. Don't do something dumb. Like be a little <laughs> bit more mindful about how you live right. your life. And so, you know, the texting and driving thing is one thing, but but the but to kind of equate it to climate change, I think that it there. There's something there. There's something very valuable to that, I think. Yeah, and phones are made with lithium ion batteries yeah. and it's very Throw your phone it's out. Very, Throw your phone it's out. very climate right. climate it's very <laughs> yeah, right. uh, environment intensive to mine lithium. So. Chris, I uh I this is it really this has been such a lovely conversation and I'm I'm glad that we got around to it um after after wanting to to get here for for such a long time. Um but before we wrap up, I do have one more Patreon question and this is a really fun one. Sadie is known to uh, to be. Uh, she's a bit of a joke. She's a bit of a jokester. Pretty fun, um, but uh, but it is a good. I think it's a good question. Sadie asks, um, "What are the chances there's an extinction level disease pandemic in the melting polar ice caps?" 
That's a great question. Oh. And what I'm going to do is bring up a topic you haven't raised first, and then I'll do that. Yeah, okay, sweet. And that is when you look in the Financial Times, wherever it is that you read um, business information, you see all kinds of estimates of the costs of mitigation, the cost to our economies, what percentage of GDP. And there is a growing number of studies showing if you start estimating the value of the avoided hospitalizations and the avoided deaths by reducing emissions from coal-fired power plants, by reducing our exposure to what comes out of tailpipes, getting people walking, cycling, taking public transportation, reducing how much red meat people eat, the value of those avoided hospitalizations and the avoided deaths are larger than the costs of mitigation. Mm -hmm. We should be mitigating for our health. Mm -hmm. And those benefits will be relatively immediate because we know that reducing all of those exposures will benefit us in the short term. And so these will be short-term values for individuals and their families. Right. And that's a really important message to get out so that yeah. people understand the value. And yeah. then on the extinction question, that's one of Rumsfeld's unknowns unknowns. Okay. There are things there we have no idea what we need are robust health systems. And COVID highlighted how many health systems are far from robust yeah. mm -hmm. and making sure that we have health systems that are prepared for a whole range of possibilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, I mean, when you're thinking about that, that's a really good point. Like we, we were un we were unprepared and, and, and COVID ultimately, I mean, when you compare it to like contagion, like the movie yeah, yeah. and like how, yeah. how, how deadly things are in like dramatic circumstances, like yeah. how, you know, like how severe they can be. COVID was, was not, is not that, but if it was, everything would be way worse. Yeah. Way, <laughs> way, way worse. Uh, I'm <laughs> surprised insurance companies aren't bigger, um, supporters of like environmental initiatives because like you think of things like the California wildfires and like, thing like most recently obviously bc and oregon like you think that they would be really trying to reduce the <laughs> those yeah, um, environmental right. catastrophes because it ends up costing them a lot of money yeah i remember speaking but to they are. there i'm sorry but they are the insurance industry has been heavily involved in this issue for decades really it is trying to influence choices that are made that increase vulnerability yeah that makes sense market. I remember speaking to a, a number of years ago now, we, we, uh, we did a show at South by Southwest and, uh, after we, after we did the show, I was speaking with somebody who was in the audience and he was, uh, he worked for an insurance company and he was talking to me about potential advertising on the show because he, he, he actually, he works, um, either, it was, I can't remember, it was with an arm of an insurance company or a company that's partnered with an insurance company. Anyway, their, their mission or their goal was, to was to like heavily enhance people's understanding of uh, taking care of their physical well-being through exercise, nutrition, et cetera, et cetera, because of how heavily those things impact health and health, health, health insurance and and the right. and the pay yeah. and the the cost to health insurance companies for when people get sick and how 
so many things are mitigated by lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. And so like likewise with insurance companies, how many health related issues could be mitigated by the, you know, big picture decisions that we make on a daily basis that affect climate change. That guy should be doing something to help mitigate the amount of times that I order from Uber Eats in a week because that's sort of negatively affecting my health outcomes. And the, and the environment. Yes. Yeah. Unless unless they're delivering it on a bike. Yeah. Can you request a bike Uber? Can you like, can you? (laughs) No, you can't. You should be able to request that you'd like it to be delivered. I would like this to be walked. Please. We should just just continue to pick up our own groceries. (laughs) Uh, Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to, to just open our eyes up to something that I think a lot of people haven't really considered the way that, that, uh, that we have here today. And uh, yeah, this is just, just so grateful to have your time and to have a conversation with you. It's been really, really fun. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.